Hello, everyone. My name is Kevin Foster, and this is the first episode of the Not a Classroom podcast. I'm calling it that because I want it to be a non-traditional learning space where myself and the listeners can engage with people's ideas, interests, and knowledge, and how it is they figure out what they want to do with their life and how they deal with barriers in being able to do so. And our first guest today is my friend Katie, who has a particular interest in biomimicry along with many other things. Yeah, so Katie, um, do you want to tell me a little about yourself, studies, interests, goals, passions, everything? Well, it's not a classroom, but I can tell you about my major. <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, let's see. I ended up in bioresource research and economics after mm -hmm. a lot of bouncing around at college because I didn't know what I liked doing except for learning and I liked animals. I liked learning about their adaptations and I liked art and I don't know how that ended up in the place where I ended up. <laughs> That's okay. But I still had a good time learning about what I learned about in college. Yeah. That's good. How did, did you like find any particular tie between economics and this bioresource stuff? Or was it just kind of a random assortment of interests that felt cool? It's, it was a little bit of both. You know, okay. when very early in college, I think around my sophomore year, somebody introduced me to biomimicry. Mm -hmm. uh, it might have even been near the end of freshman year. And I spent the rest of my time like trying to figure out if I could put various things together to yeah. study something close to biomimicry, because it's not really a, a field of study. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a really niche design process. Yeah. And economics, I just generally found fascinating because I think that human behavior is really interesting. And economics is like this social science puzzle it's got some like hard science behind it mm. but you're trying to fit together how people work to try to create a, a world that's a little bit better that's that's in my mind what it is okay and so i thought that bioresource research which gave me the biology side that i really mm. liked could fit well with economics in terms of trying to trying to study policies and economies that might make the world a bit more sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, one idea that people have picked up in biomimicry is the idea of creating a circular economy, which I found pretty interesting. And the I donut. know the donut, the donut. yeah, <laughs> um, and was something that I wanted to explore. Okay. Yeah. The I'm already going off topic from my plan, but do you, do you find that like you enjoy this sort of process of piecing these puzzles together it sounds like that's kind of at least partially your interest in economics but at the same time that that's kind of I mean it I guess back on track like with biomimicry what's if you could give a brief explanation of that there's a bit of a kind of a two puzzle piece element going into that but yeah so um biomimicry is I think People also refer to it as biomimetic design, mm -hmm. um, but it's the concept of taking inspiration from nature and from like the millions of years of adapting that organisms and ecosystems have undergone 
and applying them to human solutions because we're really good at creating energy and throwing energy at problems. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> nature doesn't have unlimited energy. Yeah. You know, the input is often just basically energy from the sun. Mm. And then it cycles through the food web and all of these organisms where things are ultimately reused over mm. and over and over again. And we don't take that approach. So we are not very good at keeping the planet clean. Do you, do you think that this is kind of something I have thought about a little bit with biomimicry, but do you think there's kind of an, an, natural or unnatural apprehension towards it in the scientific community or or maybe not broadly but I, I sometimes it feels like engineering we're either moving in this sort of extravagant tech bro kind of method or still sort of brute forcing things when like i i think i recalled there was a at some point i learned something about i believe the guy who invented like the bullet train had the slow he designed the front of it like a bird's beak or something and yeah. then it was but it took a lot of trial and error with like the whoever he was working for to actually basically get it to the point that he wanted because they didn't want to do it like a bird <laughs> yeah i can tell you a little bit more about that that's like the most common uh, example mm. of biomimicry out there i okay. think the one that that when it comes to like the layman's mind, if they've heard of biomimicry, yeah. which I think is pretty rare, is usually the Kingfisher train. Okay. Yeah. So the lead engineer was an avid bird watcher. Mm. And the Kingfisher has this unique quality where fish are really good at detecting motion and pressure. So it's, you know, like if you've ever tried to catch a fish with your hands, like as a Gollum kid. moment. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch a fish with your hands it disperses immediately mm. like it, it'll sense you instantly and the kingfisher is able to because of the shape of its beak and um i suppose it's aerodynamics it can enter the water without creating a noisy splash and without creating any compression waves in the water which Jeez. fish can sense okay so this guy who is an avid bird watcher was like hey man this might work and uh, and it did. The The reason that they were looking at changing the front of the train at all was because it was exiting these tunnels in Japan and creating a sonic boom. Oh, okay. So it was over, you know, the noise ordinance of the city, uh, and it limited the speed of the train because they mm. couldn't go any faster because it would create louder noises. And by implementing the model of the Kingfisher's beak, they were able to use less energy go faster and create less noise, Man. which is phenomenal. Um, to respond to your original question, I might be a little biased here, but I feel like the apprehension is going away a bit. Yeah, okay. I think that uh, people have started to realize how useful it is to take inspiration from what's around us. Mm. Um, but that said, biomimicry is still not the most common design process out there yeah and it's field by field where it can be applied and how it can be applied and it requires people who are really passionate about biomimicry as a design process to to implement it because mm -hmm. i think otherwise you're right the norms tend to take over because that's what people have been taught for forever yeah the is 
do you think it is that that factor of combining the efficiency of nature or is, is there something like what what interests you in it so much i think that there are a couple of things i've always been i can't call myself an artist but i i like to craft um and I think that the artistic portion of biomimicry has always been interesting to me. Mm. People have made some really astounding, you know, proposed or realized architectural structures with biomimicry. Um, but the efficiency is really interesting to me as well. Yeah. Um, a big component for me is I've always been a relatively outdoorsy person. My parents, mm. um, my mom worked for ODF and W and my dad was uh, a transportation planner, but the commonality between both of them is they were passionate about the environment mm -hmm. and they spent their free time demonstrating that. And I got to benefit from their years of knowledge and, and uh, outdoor experience. And so biomimicry is interesting to me because I think we can make better solutions for our world and our climate. And since I spend a lot of time outside, I want to see those solutions prevail and lead to, uh, you know, these, all of these places that I've been, I want to be preserved for, mm -hmm. for my friends, my loved ones and whoever comes next. Yeah. The, you said something at the beginning of that. You said you can't call yourself an artist, <laughs> the, which I find kind of funny considering how many things I've seen you do that I think are pretty cool. But the. I mean, I, I guess I can combine with this another thing I was thinking about, but like, well, sort of, but the, do you, why, why do you say you're not an artist? I think that I don't consider myself an artist um, because of the time input for the past couple of years. Hmm. It's not something that is as strong as it in my identity that it was before I entered college. Yeah. Um, and I'm starting to get back into that, but there's, because there's a bit of an identity gap, I feel that I can't truly call myself an artist anymore at this moment. I think that that will come back, but yeah, to me, it doesn't feel genuine to say that I'm an artist right now. <laughs> Do you, is it, is it a time, so it's a time thing or is it's, it a deeper than that? I think it's a time thing largely in my mind. Okay. I think that people's actions reflect how they want to spend their time and what they value. And of course, there's always exceptions where like you have yeah. other things in life that come up. You can't always put all of your time into the things you love. But art definitely hasn't been my major focus mm -hmm. for quite a long time. Would you like to have it be a major focus or like as a maybe in something you do in the future or connect it to these things you're studying as well like oh certainly yeah, yeah definitely i've i always enjoy i have friends that usually art will be my gift to to people mm -hmm. um i like giving gifts but being a a standard college student i don't have the most <laughs> money to give gifts so i yeah. usually give people art mm -hmm. and i always have a really fulfilling time making art for other people and if i could incorporate that into what i do in the future then i think i would be very happy okay do you do you feel that someone needs to be artistic or environmentally minded to be 
engaged with biomimicry or they do you think you're just more inclined to that or is there some sort of mutual respect there hmm I think I'm more inclined to those topics because they relate to how I spend uh how I spend my free time and what I consider my values to be but I don't think you need to be that artistically or environmentally inclined to engage with biomimicry I think that it honestly there are just so many fascinating adaptations out there that it could just be that you heard something that was neat mm-hmm. um it could be that you some people land on sequences or ideas that have already been in nature but haven't realized that yeah that they mimic those natural processes um one example of that another one of my favorites <laughs> is the slime mold example. Have I told you about the slime mold? It's possible I've heard about it, but I I don't know. Explain. So the train stations in Japan, yeah, high-speed trains, uh, engineers spent a lot of time and work trying to figure out what the most optimal path between cities would be. Mm -hmm. And it took them decades. It took them Mm -hmm. forever. And recently, some scientists were like, okay, here's the slime mold. It's this organism that, you know, it can't can't see. Mm. Um, But it's really, really good at finding food in the most efficient way. Yeah. So they had the slime mold start in one spot, and then they put food in areas that represented the major hubs in Japan. Mm. And 24 hours later, the slime mold had grown to all of those major hubs and it almost exactly mimicked what mm. it took engineers decades to achieve. Jeez. So some people engage in it, you know, like that could be an unconscious, like that's just what was most efficient. People spent a lot of time trying to find what was the greatest efficiency solution. But since organisms have to do that anyway, because energy inputs are low, mm. they accidentally fell upon a solution that was the same as what could have been a biomimetic solution. Hmm. Okay. Sorry, my mind is kind of locked up in thinking about economics and efficiency and all these things <laughs> now. But the, I did, I did want to ask you, because I, I consider you more of an artist than a lot of people that I know that would do art. Like, But do you have any ideas for biomimicry stuff? If you don't, like, are there any areas of focus or, like... I don't have... I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about biomimicry probably in the past year. But uh, I can tell you about what I focused on sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of my sophomore year, I went to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And my little independent research project there was on mosses in the cloud forest of Monteverde. And what's cool about the cloud forest is, uh, apart from it's just beautiful, is that these low-hanging clouds pass through the area, and they're constantly passing through the area. Mm. So there's a lot of opportunity for organisms to capture water from this misty, cloudy air, Um, but they need different adaptations to do that. So the tree canopies, for example, tend to have leaf shapes that result in the accumulation of water 
and then it will run hmm. off from the leaf at a single port point. So it will accumulate into a drop oh. and fall to the ground below. Okay. Um, and I thought that there might be some potential to look at what morphologies of plants in that area could be used for fog harvesting nets. Okay. So I looked at mosses. Hmm. Um, and a lot of this inspiration came from another study where people found a desert moss that had these thin hair-like structures on the ends okay. of their leaves that were really good at capturing mist out of the air. Mm. So water droplets would form and move up the thin hair-like uh, hair -like structures through capillary action. So they would almost defy gravity. Okay. And they're unique because a lot of these desert plants end up pulling water from the soil, but they can pull it from the air. Mm -hmm. So I collected a bunch of mosses. I looked at them under scopes. I characterized what features they had, if they had ons, which are these hair-like structures, or anything else that might distinguish them from one another. And I put them under a couple of tests to see how good they were at capturing water, their overall capability to hold water um, and their ability to hang on to it after weather conditions had changed. So if things were drying up, like mm -hmm. how long would they keep that within their system? And the biggest findings were that having like a higher surface area to volume ratio. So having like these thin hair like, like segments or having more leaves or a branching structure meant that they were better at collecting water from the air. Mm. And so my idea, the point of this research was, I thought it'd be interesting to see if any of those morphological traits could be uh, adapted and put into fog harvesting nets in areas like coastal deserts. Okay. So that these nets would be more efficient at capturing water from the air, which could be used by people living in those areas. Damn. Sounds pretty sick. <laughs> People have done other biomimetic research in this area, too, and have yeah. done some really interesting things. There's a beetle that has... The back of the beetle has hydrophobic and hydrophilic sections. So water will conglomerate in certain ways and then run off okay. the back of the beetle. Huh. So people have implemented that into fog harvesting nets. And then other fog harvesting nets already mimic some of these moth structures where we'll have thread fab you know like what you would consider a normal like nylon rope and then you'll have some kind of scraggly bits mm, which okay. are better at capturing water from the air okay that sounds like something really cool and from your experience that you've told me it sounds like that was some of your favorite time if not your favorite time you spent in college yeah and the i'm sure you would love to be doing more of that if you could um yeah what do you feel like it would take for you to actually pursue something in this realm? Like say you had, you figured like you're, you find one of those things in nature that you're like, Oh, this would make a lot of sense to sort of fit it into an engineering solution. What, what would it take for you to do something like that? Like, and be like, okay, this is what I need to pursue. I, it's that's a very interesting question and also a hard question for me to answer mm. at the moment because I feel like without kind of a, a known passion for something, 
it's hard to imagine if you were in that situation with a passion, how yeah. you would move forward. I feel like that would be the first step for me, though. I've found that projects that I really latch on to and put my all into need to require some sort of passion and a little bit of know-how. Mm-hmm. You know, usually, yeah, yeah. usually I would like to have more know-how, I think, in a project. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I acknowledge that I don't think my education put me in a point where a lot of the things I would think about, I would have the actual know-how to carry out. Yeah. So the first step for me would always be passion. If I could sit Mm. with an idea and do a lot of research about it to the point where I was like, man, this needs to be something that's introduced, then I would seek out a team after that. But I, you know, the fog harvesting that, while it was a really interesting project for me, I didn't think that it had a lot of traction moving forward, partially because it's not an entirely novel concept. A lot of Mm. people have done work on fog harvesting nets, and material science is also an emerging field. Yeah. And I think, you know, at times somewhat limited. And then you have to acknowledge, well, what's the most... We can make fog harvesting nets that have these, like, fantastic material properties, but how much would it cost us? Yeah. Is versus a nylon string that's been roughed up. It's your economics. That's my, that's <laughs> my economics background coming in. Mm-hmm. The, I guess, do you, one, do you feel that there are a lot of barriers to entry in this area? And at the same time, I you, you definitely strike me as a person who likes to take on a lot of challenge, but... I I find personally that there's sort of different kinds of challenges that come up. I think there's a a rigorous sort of challenge to doing something like that, where you're working really hard and pursuing something, but then there's other ones where it feels like there's those, there's some barriers that are kind of mundane and that kind of keep you away from things. And I think there's a difference between effort and just that that feels like you're pushing for something an effort to just get off the floor almost that's it's uh yeah i i guess the um it it does seem like there are a lot of barriers in this realm to get into it like you said with the know-how but and at the same time i one of my friends recently told me that there's uh i forget what the curve is named after but there's essentially a curve of like you passion it's like the some basically this curve is telling you like how to pursue a goal I think essentially and how passion can actually carry you up like a steep ascent for a long period of time for for a certain amount of time but eventually your passion will start to fold or like will dip off a little bit and I think sometimes that can come from those barriers but then you need at that point you need like a support system and like sometimes that could be a professor actually or for for example someone with the know-how how to do it like does it does it feel like there's resources out there to do that or is it just a jumbled confusion as most things are <laughs> i think it depends a little bit what your goals are mm-hmm. i think with me the initial barrier is that 
biomimicry is really largely this design concept that you implement in your specific field. Mm. So there's not really a huge demand out there for someone who has a broad knowledge of biomimicry. Yeah. Because how are you going to apply that? Mm. But if you are, you know, a mechanical engineer or a material scientist, then you can look at nature and look at, you know, things that are really interesting or have value in human solutions and then say, well, I want to put my focus into implementing this into my workspace or my research or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then from that point, I guess you have another boundary of, and kind of what we talked about earlier is how accepting is your workplace going to be of these ideas and implementing them, which I can't speak to because I Mm. haven't been in an industry where I've been trying to implement biomimetic ideas. So for me, the largest barrier is finding something to focus on where I can apply biomimicry, which I think is not quite how my brain works. I Mm. really like, I, I've always enjoyed learning about a variety of different topics. And so I jumble my own Mm -hmm. (laughs) progress in trying to find something within biomimicry because there's so many things that I think are interesting. I think it'd be interesting to study ecology, um, which could lead to kind of some revelations that could be applied in business and economics. Or I think it would be interesting to work in policy that tries to implement more circular economy philosophies. There's so many things that are neat out there. um, But I can't pick a direction to go. Mm. The other problem with biomimicry is it is, while it's been around forever, it's still a pretty small community. In the United States, there's a master's program at Arizona State that's online. um, And that's generally the extent of like very specific programs for biomimicry (laughs) biomimicry 3.8 and the biomimicry institute do a really good job um of implementing programs of support for entrepreneurs but they're still a a very small organization Mm -hmm. with less than 50 people in it and it's hard to find I think a lot of really direct support with somebody who wants to get into biomimicry but doesn't really know Mm -hmm. how or where they want to focus um I found a lot of issues with that in college where my advisors simply didn't know where to direct me yeah yeah do you do you wish at times that you had done something like just gone with mechanical or or gone more into material science like I think for me sometimes I feel like my ambition can get so wound up in so many different things that it's hard to even get started on one thing and I I guess sometimes for me I feel like if I can ground one thing it'll push me and then take me in a direction but then I guess for for me a lot of the time I'm questioning if I would have liked going another way or something but do you do you wish you had sort of maybe had a more of a grounding element with that or do you are you happy with the direction you've chosen now see i think part of the reason that we get along is because i relate (laughs) to a lot of what you just said 
Yeah. And I do, because I, I started in biology and mechanical engineering, and that's a pretty surefire way to have some sort of biomimicry in your mm-hmm. life, right? Because I got the biology background that could have showed me what I could be inspired by as a mechanical engineer going into other fields. Mm-hmm. But as I did more of the mechanical engineering, I realized that that wouldn't satiate me enough. I still want to learn all those skills. That's yeah. the thing. I still want to learn all of the skills to be a mechanical engineer. But I think that because I do bounce around a lot, a lot of me wants to be in kind of a support role where I get yeah. to learn about all of these places and all the things that they're doing and kind of spread that word as mm-hmm. well. So I get to go to place, try to help them, support them in their goals for innovation, as well as learn what they're doing and how they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't put me in the place of being the innovator, but it puts me in the place of constantly learning, which yeah. is what I would love to do. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that higher education has helped or hindered your progress in this sort of, I guess, finding direction is one way to look at it? That's, I don't know. I I think that it's done a bit of both. I would say that the first three and a half years were not all of that beneficial to my exploration. I will yeah. be quite honest there. Um, I really appreciate the advisor of the major that I ended up with, mm-hmm. which was bioresource research. Although I did also figure out in that process that I was not inclined towards microbiology, which Mm -hmm. ended up being a lot of my focus. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, I feel like higher education felt really restrictive and kind of scary. I was bouncing bouncing around majors constantly. I think I ended up in like nine. Um, Counting the fingers of how many times I've switched. (laughs) I've done that quite a few times. And... A lot of the times I was met with people who didn't really know how to help me. Yeah. Didn't really know how to to direct me in an area and... Barrier, yeah. And besides that, there's not a lot of... There's some like interdisciplinary majors where you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but there's also so much specialization that each time that I was switching and found something that... I wasn't sure if it was a fit, lost me time somewhere else. Yeah. And since higher education is so expensive at some point, I was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. Without, especially without getting what I consider to be meaningful help from the people I was supposed to get meaningful help from. Yeah. I feel like for me, it would take, it takes a lot of confidence to try and pursue these things sort of when, when you're off, like, in this confusing world of trying to figure out exactly, exactly what to do. Do you you feel like it's, I have this dilemma myself where there's um, a lot of people will tell you, it's like, it's easier than ever to explore your options and see all these things. And you have um, like, it's potentially in some ways could be easier than ever to try to do something with biomimicry. But then at the same time, there's, I mean, I find that I'm under choice overload a lot of the time and that, I get stuck in that way, but do you do you think it's easier than ever to explore things, or do you think your your motivation is like a pie that's been sliced up too many times? Like, I think both are true in a way. Yeah. Part of me really wants to get 
when I was in high school, I took some computer science classes and mm. I took a couple at the very beginning of college because of mechanical engineering. And I really enjoyed computer science. And with some fields, I think that's definitely the case. You you can go online and you can get courses in R and ArcGIS and mm. many general programs that are have a lot of utility in a lot of industries with greater ease than ever before. But at the same time, the one thing that I'll give to higher education is it, it gives a lot of direction for your learning mm-hmm. because it's respected by everyone. Yeah. So to have a course, you have some actionable outcomes that the professor wants to achieve and they're not always achieved, but there's at least a direction and you know what direction you're going in. And it takes a lot of of discipline and ability to focus to create the direction on your own with the resources that are online. Yeah. And that's certainly possible for a lot of people, but I think when you get the pie overload where <laughs> you've been sliced up so much, it's really hard to just pick one of those things and make your own lesson plan, have some actionable outcome yeah. um, in a, a really efficient manner. Yeah. And I think that that's what's overwhelming to me a lot of the time. Um, mm. Besides that, there's also some resources that simply don't come in the same way. You get a lot of power simply out of having an edu email, a .edu. Mm. People, because I'm a student, a lot of people will talk to me and mm-hmm. guide me at least a little bit. Not I've not had the best luck with everyone, but a lot of people just want to be helpful. But after this is all over, I won't have that .edu power anymore. Yeah. Which makes it, I think, a bit more difficult to find resources. Yeah. The, and certainly with COVID, it can be harder too, like with meetups and stuff not really happening. But like, I, I think sometimes I, I get this feeling like people continuously tell you to like make, if you're like trying to make these decisions, you're like, they're like, make up a pros and cons list or something. And like, you, you can make pros and cons lists for everything, but everything is going to have some pros and cons, but it's, you, you run into this issue where there's not really like an objective measure of how much better or worse any of those things are. And there's not, I, I think higher education has been great for me because it allowed me to adapt and explore interests that I didn't necessarily even know I had. But at the same time, there's, there's also just not necessarily enough time to do something for so long that you know that you want to do it for a while, but then, and then you could get burnt out on other things. And it's, it's a, it's such a confusing mess there. But I think, I don't know the, it kind of, comes back to me with like the that idea of having discipline to like look through all these different things I but something I've been hearing with a lot of people recently is just like motivation I feel like motivation has been kind of a hard hard drug to come by (laughs) (laughs) everyone's dealers on vacation I guess but the the, um I don't know I heard an interesting thing one time I can't remember who said it it might have been some movie director or something but just they they said that you should treat motivation like a privilege and that I thought that was a really interesting kind of discipline like quote where 
it feels like sometimes we're so focused on having motivation when like sometimes it's about focusing in on something but at the same time like I guess some people get a lot of stuff done in really short bursts other people get things done in like I don't know do you do you think motivation is a really crucial thing to have with when you're in school and or just finding out what you want to do and is it what what do you do when you don't have it well this has been a big struggle for me for the past five years because I think prior to coming into my undergrad I definitely had some projects where I felt really really motivated to complete mm-hmm. them and incredibly interested in their progress and my initial kind of feeling of passion let me do a lot more with that project and build even more passion so i think that i will admit that for me motivation being kind of a precursor might be a bit of a crutch in my mind Mm-hmm. where I feel like I need to have some sort of strong initial feeling to get going. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of interests that I can't say have brought about that same feeling of passion. Yeah. But there's a lot to be said for also starting something and spending some time in it leads you to find out that it's either not right for you or maybe you have more passion for it than you thought you did. Yeah. But that's difficult. I think that one thing that comes with higher education is a bit of financial and societal pressure to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. regardless of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I certainly, I feel like in the United States, especially there's this huge burden of success where you need to be successful (laughs) to have value in your life yeah (laughs) and i fall victim to that mindset on occasion and it's definitely influenced how i go through my undergraduate learning yeah I really, I don't know what a good answer is because in my mind, some of those things that maybe could have branched into really good paths for me, I was also on this train, well, man, I need to, I need to get through college. I can't be here for six Mm -hmm. years. So if I stay in this major that I don't really know if I like or not for too long of a period of time, then I'm extending my college stay, which is going to cost be in my family more money and delay my overall success success in life because every year I spend in college beyond what is generally accepted is another year of earnings lost. Yeah. I think it's hard to balance those qualms Mm -hmm. because no matter what, you need money. You need money to live. And especially for us... You know, my parents are quite old, so they benefited from a much lower cost of tuition. Mm-hmm. They had other struggles, but uh, their ability to get through college was not the most concerning thing. Yeah. And I feel like in an increasingly expensive world that the longer that I spent just kind of flitting around trying to figure out what was going on was 
just detrimental to my overall outcome. Yeah, the opportunity cost. Yeah. Of exploring, I guess. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I was I was undeclared essentially for a term, and like, there's just, I feel like there's definitely a lot of pressure to get out of that to the point where I switched around more times in a way. Um, that idea of pushing for success, it's like you're so attached to becoming not necessarily becoming successful but becoming successful in a happy and fulfilling way Mm -hmm. and there's like you're trying to balance at least for me like I feel like sometimes I'm trying to balance this efficient outcome of how can I do something fulfilling that's also going to make me money and sometimes it's that I think I'm that's the I feel like that's the wrong way to look at it because I'm I should instead push more for just doing things. And if it makes money down the line, that's great. If not, whatever, but there's only so, and even that's like a privileged standpoint. Like there's, it's just a, you're, a lot of people can't even make that decision because you just have to go somewhere with something. And, but that's, you have to, some people just have to accept that they're not necessarily going to get to do what they want to do right now or ever. And I guess that this is probably the more personal section that I was thinking about, but like the, so I know you got rejected from a biomimicry Institute job and that with had, like, I, I guess with having so much passion or like, or like at least exploration into a seemingly like niche subject, like how does it feel particularly like this just kind of the sort of non-responsive manner that the silence yeah like how how does that feel when you don't like how does it make you feel about the field like do you do you lose confidence in that direction going that way do you try to change it up or it's certainly discouraging especially because the biomimicry institute has again it's a it's a small organization so there's not a lot of positions that open up and they like to have people that I think are very qualified and will stay there for a while Mm -hmm. and on their you know to be fair give them some credit me coming out of undergrad is not the most qualified person for the position that I applied to Mm -hmm. which was kind of the support role that I was talking about where I would be involved in talking to these companies and their innovations and trying to decide who I can give funding to to help them launch their idea off the ground. I think what's discouraging as an undergraduate coming out into the job market, especially when, I mean, right now it's not looking quite as good. But a couple of months ago, people were like, this is a great time to enter the job market. There's so many (laughs) jobs and the wages are higher. To not get a response on some of these things is really discouraging and makes me question the work environment of places that Mm. give me a response versus don't give me a response. Yeah. I can't say that it was definitely, definitely didn't feel good to (laughs) submit an application And spend a lot of time trying to sell myself and sell my passion and not hear anything back. But I feel like I can't speak too much to 
what that actually mm. means for that organization. Yeah, yeah. I I think more it, it it matters more to a personal element, I think. Like it's it's are it's it's already demoralizing as it is when people <laughs> are like, Oh, the job market's so good and then you're kind of like not hearing back from stuff. That's a that's a kind of a weird spot to be and you're you're told you have all these advantages which we do being able to go through school you're you're going to be offered higher wages probably able to get better more interesting positions in some ways or another um but like i guess with the the biomimicry stuff that you're you're looking at like how how do you how do you cope with that that feeling of like you you it feels like you found the puzzle piece that fits, but then as you actually go to put it together, it just doesn't work out right. Do you keep looking in that direction or do you change it up? Do you look for that other other options that you've thought of or just, yeah. Well, I guess I'm a little fortunate in that I don't have the dilemma of choice there. Hmm. There are not many positions that match that yeah. description. So me not hearing back from that position basically means that I have to go look at other options. And I guess that from there, the only choice I really have is, okay, do I want to dedicate myself to being in a support role? Do I think that that action of supporting innovators is really the thing that I want to do? In which case I can look for that experience elsewhere, but there is zero guarantee that it will be related to anything biomimicry. Yeah. And so I would have to have that long-term goal in mind of, okay, the Biomimicry Institute is where I want to work. And this is my stepping stone for having that position sometime in the future. But the supply isn't there. That's not a guarantee. Yeah. Even if I have that goal in mind, as much as I want to be a romantic about it especially because I think I do have kind of a romantic idea of like how I want to spend my time because as much as work I don't want work to be my life it is going to be how I spend eight to nine hours of yeah. my day every day uh yeah until the foreseeable future but since the supply isn't there it's really hard to try to find a pathway forward you know, you either have to put some confidence into the supply being there in the future or you need to make compromises. And right now I've chosen to make compromises and look at things that are interesting to me in other ways and hope that biomimicry can fit in somewhere along the line. Yeah, I mean, when you look for those compromises like I guess it, it's kind of a you know there's that kind of idea that we're all the the narrator of our own novel in our head or our director of our own movie I, I I sometimes feel like when you get when you get in that space of making those compromises it's like the do you relate to this at all it feels like a reality check almost that like you're you're <laughs> like the the camera's not really rolling you're not actually in that space you're just in this sort of relative universe where you're just like oh i'm just another human looking for a job at this yeah. point i don't like you're you're kind of realizing that this is a situation that a lot of people probably have been through or 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, making these compromises, I think in my logical brain, it makes a lot of sense. There's Mm. a degree of supply and demand out there. And I have to fit into whatever those limitations are mm. while still trying to find something that makes me happy. It doesn't help that I think everybody does romanticize their life a little bit. Yeah. And I've heard stories of the people who have the eureka moment or seen friends who go through college mm. with the goal in mind. Um, you know, like for one of our dear friends who's in marketing. Mm-hmm. She has such a great passion for what she does, and it took her, you know, a couple classes in to realize, wow, this resonates with me. This topic is always going to be of interest to me because there's so many little intricacies. And so her job, while it's not quite what she wants to do at the moment in her, you know, in her mind, it's like, this is the stepping stone to where I want to be. She has that end goal in mind. Yeah. Similarly with my dad, he came out of college. He did a lot of the stuff that I did. (laughs) He kind of bounced around, Yeah, was in engineering and biology for a while and ended up in zoology. And he was like, what am I going to do with this? Mm -hmm. How, how is this going to be a marketable skill? And he read about a book, I think about urban planning. And it just resonated so deeply with him that he switched gears entirely and he came to Oregon and studied urban planning. Mm. And I think everybody wants that story. Everybody wants the story where they find something that just resonates with them. And that's what they pursue for their life. And I still want that story. So making these compromises at the moment doesn't feel like the story that I've always wanted in my head is your dad just built different my dad might be (laughs) built different (laughs) i i think a a question sort of revolving around this that i've thought about is just like something that i've had a revelation of is how many times do you feel like you you look back and you're like you had a revelation and then months or years down the line you're like that was not true (laughs) and you're like oh I okay (laughs) like I feel like that I've had that happen a couple times I had that in the car the other day I was like (laughs) I was thinking about something and I was like wow you know maybe this would change my life and I was like and then almost immediately after I thought okay listen You're not gonna. You've been through this. You're not gonna have uh, your re- your grand revelation in life in your car ride home. Uh, I mean, maybe you will. Maybe you will. But in my mind, I was like, "This is great and all. It's not gonna stick." Right. <laughs> that, does it, it? I I don't know if this is like a weird thing, but it's like the. So I I'm wondering if this just happens. If it happens enough times, do you get to a point where like all of those you're you're beyond that? You're like in a meta universe of like your revelations and being like, okay, dude, like you're you've already you've already been <laughs> you've already been through this like over and over. It's like I I I think I like I we we've both talked about like having ambition more feeling like we've had more ambition in the past or like and I think I definitely get fluctuations. Like I get really highly ambitious at times and then it dips. 
sometimes it, it feels like that man like you you that like i feel that motivation that like it this is why i sometimes feel like motivation i somewhat agree with that idea that it's a privilege that like i'm given this thing but it's almost like there's a there's another layer to that motivation when you get like a revelation to do something that it's it's not just about the idea and the passion and motivation it's it's about the execution but then like there's that part of your mind where it's like okay i failed to execute on all these different things <laughs> and is it gonna be is it gonna happen that same way again or is it gonna is that gonna change and it's and sometimes like and it's not like we're not doing anything it's like there's there's various things going on it's just that sometimes like i i don't know if i'm if i'm waiting for the perfect revelation or to find that book that i need to read yeah. that's gonna be like oh i get it now or like you know maybe they're just built different or something <laughs> yeah i find it hard to rationalize that in in mm. my head i still can't really figure out what's necessary to move forward on something and feel fulfilled and if my idea of passion is a necessity or if i warped my reality so greatly mm. that it, it just it won't carry out and i i wonder sometimes if it's just like i'm in need of a huge shift of my like my world view yeah where i, I don't even know what it would be because i've lived the same way for so long but where that kind of nugget of like i need this I need this feeling to go on this mm -hmm. needs to be wiped from my brain entirely. Yeah. I, I truly <laughs> don't know. Maybe it's, it's like, um, what is it? You know, for like romance where it's like, you find love when you're not looking for it. Maybe yeah. I need to stop looking for something and simply settle into these compromises and be okay with it for a while. And, those compromises lead to something else. Yeah. I mean, I, this sounds like a very, we both sound very doomer <laughs> mode right now, but I don't know. I think we're both in some ways really optimistic and then in other ways, maybe not. Maybe times. a little cynical. Yeah. And that, I don't know. I, I've tr I try to, as you were saying, kind of get, even if, even if I let that, idea of like this that motivation that like thought of finding the thing even if I let that continue I think it's I've been trying to push into this idea of just continuing doing things mm -hmm. and if you can just keep doing stuff I think maybe it'll all go f somewhere <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I started a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, that's that's pretty much that <laughs> so far it's fun yeah but yeah i i think that's probably a good place to stop i think thank you for coming on here you're welcome back at any time i should probably talk to other people <laughs> too. i'm but. honored to be your first guest yeah thank you and Thanks I so I enjoy talking about these things, even yeah. though I have a bit of a, a doomer mindset at times or alternating between hopelessly optimistic and hopelessly cynical. <laughs> I think it's really valuable to talk about them because in the end, I don't 
I don't think that my worldview is necessarily correct, but it helps me learn how my mind works. Yeah. And what steps might need to be taken to kind of come to peace with what the world actually is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's hopefully in the future, that's kind of the goal of the podcast is just kind of keep giving people other people's thoughts and see where they can go with it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Um, Come back for more when I make more, if you want. Bye. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.